Amen. Well, as we reflect on the new year that is before us, as we look back over the last year and consider where God has been at work in our lives, we will hear no doubt this week uh, times in which we might say the new year is upon us, we turn over a new leaf, we start a, a new year and maybe make some New Year's resolutions. Often the uh, media will reflect on you know, who was lost in 2021 and what actors or, or famous folks passed away. There'll be a reflection on perhaps large events that took place. And, and of course, no doubt, COVID will be a part of those conversations. As we think about a new year as Christians, I wanted us to just take a break from 1 Timothy this morning to think about in light of the Christmas season, think about this transition that will happen in our lives throughout this week as we begin to box up perhaps those Christmas decorations or perhaps begin to reshuffle some things in our lives and maybe make some our own resolutions and our own commitments to wanting to follow Christ more faithfully in 2022. I want us to consider this in light of what the scripture calls us to do. I've titled this message, Living a Forward-Leaning Life. As Christians, we ought to have a forward lean in our life. In fact, I believe that the book of Philippians could really be summed up by this idea of a forward-leaning life. Now, Pastor Rod wanted to make sure that y'all knew he was a better preacher, and so he decided to want to preach through Philippians uh, after I preach in Philippians this morning. So, uh, so I'm excited, though, really genuinely, uh, to get to hear these sermons in 2022. And so every time Pastor Rod preaches in 2022, he's going to be preaching through uh, the book of Philippians. But this book uh, has this forward lean to it. The Apostle Paul has been imprisoned, but yet he is looking forward. He, he's not sitting wallowing in self-pity. He is saying that he is moving on. He's moving forward, and he's calling the church in Philippi to get up and to move forward. They were not to sit and whine and wallow because of the problems of their great apostle. They weren't to say, oh my goodness, our, our leader is locked in prison, therefore we just need to sit down and do nothing. Rather, he tells them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. He says, get up and get moving forward. And here in chapter 3, and we're going to consider just a couple verses this morning out of chapter 3. In chapter 3, the Apostle Paul makes something very clear. He says that, listen, you haven't arrived. And because you haven't arrived, you need to keep moving forward. And he uses himself as an example. No doubt this congregation in Philippi would have looked up to the Apostle Paul. They would have seen him as a spiritual giant in which they were to strive towards. But the church in Philippi was also threatened by false teachers, just like the churches in Ephesus and the churches in Galatia. There was those who had sought to distort the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by teaching a works righteousness. That is, that you and I become righteous by our good works. We become accepted. God loves us. Because we are good. And the Apostle Paul in chapter 3 sets out and contrasts a righteousness that is by human effort 
with that of a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul contrasts works righteousness with imputed righteousness. That you and I are declared right, righteous, right, in God's sight. We are justified by faith and not by works. And so the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says, okay, let's, let's, let's be hypothetical here for just a moment if we can. And he says, okay, let's be hypothetical. If one was to be saved by works, well, then, then I'm that guy, he says. He goes on and he just begins to go through the list of all of the, the amazing things that Paul has done. Paul was from the right family. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He, was a, he describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was everyone's man. He goes on to describe himself not only as a, as a Jew, but, but of the strict, most serious sect within Judaism, a Pharisee. He knew the law and he held the law. He goes on to describe himself as one who was blameless under the law, but yet one who still needed a Savior. Paul will go on to argue in this chapter that one is made righteous by faith alone and not by works. That holiness is the result of justification by faith and not by work. Now, in this list that Paul provides for us, and as we think about our passage this morning, and since we're kind of jumping in here, I just want to make sure we understand the context. Paul does not believe that he has already arrived spiritually. He does not believe that he has arrived at a place in his life where he can claim himself to be perfect. In fact, Paul will argue in this chapter that a truly mature Christian is one who never thinks they are spiritually perfect. One who never thinks that they're morally perfect, but, but one who is a work in progress. And perhaps that's been your experience. When, when I talk to senior saints, those who are truly spiritual, those who are truly godly, they will be the ones who understand their need for a Savior more. They'll understand how, how deep their sin goes and how much God is still working in them. There's never a, an air of pride about them. This is the true mark of a godly Christian. One who has their mind set on the heavenly goal and not on earthly things. So with that in mind, I want us to look here at Philippians. and we're Philippians chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14. Again, we'll, we'll look at some of the verses around it, but we really want to hone in just on a couple words here that the Apostle Paul lays before us. And to fill your mind with the broader context, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have 
attained. Well, as we think about this passage, I've summarized verses 13 and 14 in this way. That Christians progressively grow in holiness as they pursue Christ by straining forward to the day they will be fully glorified. I'll say that again. Christians are to progressively grow in holiness. We ought every year to grow in holiness. We ought to stake one step, maybe two steps, three steps, however many steps forward in our holiness. And so in light of what Paul says here, I wanted us to think and to encourage us to strive for holiness in the new year. We can make all the resolutions we want. We, we, maybe we need to lose some weight. Maybe we need to eat a little healthier. Maybe we need to stay off of social media a little bit more. Uh, maybe we need to uh, you know, do whatever. As Christians this morning, we ought to see that, that one of the goals we ought to have for every year and every day is that we grow to be more like Jesus. And so, perhaps as you reflect on this year, you, you're kind of discouraged. I've not grown as much as I should. How should we grow or how do we grow in holiness? Well, we see three things. Number one, first, you begin by confessing you've not arrived. You can't see the need to grow until you recognize and confess that you haven't arrived. You know you need to lose weight because the scale tells you. Mirrors don't lie. David, can you turn up the monitor, please? Secondly, we see in this passage, in order to grow in holiness, we have to move beyond the past and embrace the future. We, 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 can't, we can't concern ourselves and consume ourselves with the past. We have to move forward. To move forward means that you go in a direction. And so many times in our life, we're so distracted by the past, we can't embrace the future. And thirdly, here in verse 14, we see that we grow in holiness by aiming at perfection. And we're going to think about the distinguishing and the difference between perfectionism and genuine perfection, godly perfection, holiness. And so these are the three points I want us to consider this morning. First, we need to confess our sins. Secondly, we need to move beyond. And thirdly, we need to aim at perfection. Look at what Paul says. Verse 13, brothers and sisters. Uh, by the way, anytime you see that, most likely, contextually, it's brothers and sisters. All right, so Paul is, isn't just talking to the men of the church. Hey, men, you need to, you need to get holy. Um, but he's saying, sisters, you need to get holy too. Brothers and sisters, he says, I, I do not consider that I have made it my own. What is Paul, what does this it refer to? What is Paul speaking of? We'll just move up to verse 12. Again, he says this, not that I already have obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Well, again, Paul seems to be referring to something that goes much further than that. What is he referring to? Well, look back to verse 10 and 11. Paul says this in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What is Paul talking about here? Paul is talking about glory. 
He's talking about glorification or perfection. He's talking about being holy as Jesus is holy. And he begins there in verse 13 by saying and confessing, I do not consider that I am perfect. Now, again, I I gave you that list earlier in chapter 3 where Paul lists out all of these great accomplishments that he's had, all these achievements in life. He was on the fast track to being the next high priest of the nation of Israel. He was a leader among men, not only in in his education, but in his personal holiness. He he was a man who, who people wanted to emulate and be like, but yet he was still a man who needed to grow in holiness. He's confessing to the church, I do not think that I have made it to the end. I do not think that this is the end. Now, many scholars believe that Paul is at the end of his life as he's writing this. You see, Paul lived his life as if Jesus was coming at any moment. Uh, Paul approached every day with the perspective that I could meet Jesus today, and so I better be ready to meet him. He says, look, church, I need to tell you, I don't think that I've already arrived. Now, why does the Apostle Paul say this? He says this because you can't grow in holiness if you think you're already holy. You see, if you think you've arrived, if you're at your destination, you've become what God has created you to be, then you don't work anymore, right? Right? But when you're trying to learn something and grow in something, you practice, right? Paul says, look, you can't grow towards perfection if you think you're already perfect. Therefore, in order to grow in holiness, you must begin by confessing that you are not yet perfect. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul will use the the common metaphor of running, running a race in order to receive a prize. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. He says, listen, you don't, you don't enter into a race to lose, right? You, you don't play a game to lose. You play a game to win, Right? Now, you'd maybe wonder that about the Baltimore Ravens, but nonetheless, they played to maybe win. We run, we run he says, to win. Or similarly, as the author of Hebrews says, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. In other words, he says, no, we're we're not in elementary class. We've got to move on, right? We don't stay in first grade. We go on to second and third and fourth and so forth. And as Christians, we've got to confess that, that we haven't graduated yet. Well, we don't graduate until we get to glory. That's when graduation services, right? And so regardless of where you are in your life, if you're in in your teens or 20s or 30s or 80s or 90s, wherever you are, you've not arrived until they put you in the casket. And so we keep moving forward. 
And so we've got to confess, I have not arrived. I have to grow in this new year in holiness. The Apostle Paul, the one who was the holiest of the bunch, knew he needed to keep growing. And so do we. We need to begin this morning by confessing that we have yet to arrive. That you are not perfect. You see, self-righteousness teaches us that we have finished the race. That we have, we, we've become as righteous as we will be. But as Christians, we are constantly seeking to be conformed into the image of Christ. Friends, you have not yet arrived, and it's okay. See, there are some here this morning that are struggling with self-righteous pride. I've arrived. There are some of you here this morning that think you'll never arrive. You're so discouraged. You're so upset with yourself that you've not made much movement this year. In terms of holiness, maybe even feeling as if you've gone back a few steps. Well, friends, it begins the same. It begins with confession. I've not arrived, and it's okay. So perhaps you've not arrived this morning. Confess that you're still on the journey, that you're still striving forward, that you're still moving on. And so Paul doesn't just say, hey, we need to confess we haven't arrived yet. Hey, you know. He says, we've got to move forward. Look what he says. This is, again, look, I've not arrived, but, here, here he is, he doesn't stop there, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You see, we grow in holiness by moving beyond the past and embracing the future. Paul says, this, I have a singular activity. One thing he says I do. This is what I do. Here's my secret. I forget what lies behind. He forgets the past. He moves on from the past. While the Apostle Paul had a lot of great achievements, he had a lot of failures as well. See, the past is troubling in two ways. Number one, we can think really good about the past. We can almost um, become enamored with it, glorify it a bit, think that it was good. The good old days. Man, if we could just get back to the good days. When things were great in our lives. So the past has a way of captivating us in a way that keeps us from moving forward. We just keep wanting to go back to what it was like then rather than thinking about what is God calling us to do tomorrow. But see, the past can also not only captivate us, but it can capture us and keep us captive to our failures. We can think about all of the ways that we've fallen short. But it's funny how our memories work, isn't it? Uh, Sometimes we forget how many failures we've really accumulated over an entire year. We forget what we had to eat last night. No doubt we forget how many times we sinned against God. So perhaps 
we're captive by our past success, but like the Apostle Paul, we might be captivated by our past failures. The Apostle Paul, of course, was a murderer. He executed one of the first deacons of the church. Do you not think that was a thorn in his flesh that the enemy used to doubt his own salvation? You, you, you think you struggle with your past sin? Imagine what the Apostle Paul had to deal with every time he heard about the ministry going on in the church in, Israel, or in, in Jerusalem. Knowing that he had executed that church's deacon. But Paul says, I have a singular focus. I forget what lies behind. I forget my success and I forget my failures. And I, I strain forward. Paul uses this language of straining forward, striving forward. It's work, it's effort, it's blood, it's sweat, it's tears. He'll say similarly in chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Progress in the Christian life is work. This is why it's called a discipline. This is why you're called a disciple. It's hard to follow directions, friends. We don't naturally follow directions. We don't naturally incline to doing that. We, we give direction, we're like, ah, I could do it better. But it creates discipline. Paul says you've got to forget the past if you're going to move forward in the present. One of the things that often happens when you're driving down the road, and you've all experienced this if you've ever driven, when, when you start rubbernecking, right? Start looking out your windows at maybe an accident on the side of the road or something's got you, distra got you distracted. What happens? You begin to, to swerve. You begin to turn wherever your head is. And, and so many of us have our eyes fixed on the rearview mirror. We're not really paying attention to what's happening in front of us. And Paul says, listen, if you're going to move forward, you've got to move beyond your past. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. In other words, Paul isn't just saying, hey, we're moving forward to moving forward's sake. We're, we're making progress for progress sake. No, what does he say? Look what he says there. Moving forward to something. There's a destination he says, to what lies ahead? Well, what lies ahead? Well, he goes on in verse 14. I press on, he says, toward what? The goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, as Christians, we are to move beyond our past and embrace our future. Now, this may sound like some prosperity gospel preaching, but, but brothers and sisters, it is not. It is what the Apostle Paul teaches us in this passage. Look what he says. Back at verses 10 and 11, let me refer to those. Or rather, verse 12, excuse me, went a little ahead. We skipped over verse 12 because we're really just focusing on you know, 13 and 14 this morning. But there's an important motivational Part of what Paul is doing here. Look what he says there in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained perfection or, or I'm already perfect, 
But, he says, I press on, there it is again, same as verse 14, I press on to make it my own. Why? Here's the important part. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. One of my favorite movies isn't the greatest movie you probably have ever seen. But it's my favorite movie, and I'll keep it as my favorite movie. I love the, uh, the Back to the Future trilogy. I always have since I was a little kid when they first came out. Every year, my family endures my uh, weird obsession with it, and so I watch all three of them uh, on my birthday. That's the only time I'm allowed to watch them, because uh, uh, I'd watch them all the time if not. But in this series, of course, Marty, the main character, goes to the future. And he's got his girlfriend with him, and they see their future. And it isn't as beautiful as they thought it would be. Marty has hopes that, it, that, that it'll be better, but his girlfriend knows better. They haven't arrived. Because of circumstances in their own lives, their future isn't exactly what they had hoped it was. And at the very end of the movie, as they're talking to the man who invented the little time machine that they traveled in, they asked him about what it meant, what this future that they experienced, that they witnessed, that they saw. And, 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 and the doc tells Marty and, and his girlfriend that, that it's okay, your future isn't written yet, and you can make it whatever you want. It sounds really good, but it's not true. In Christ, brother and sister, your future is already written. And a part of sanctification is embracing our identity, our future identity in Christ. We are striving towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ. It's a finished we, we strive in holiness because Christ Jesus has already made us his own. You are already owned by Jesus, branded as his, marked by him. You know, we, we have this weird obsession about the mark of the beast. Well, here's what you need to do, Christian. Stop worrying about what the mark of the beast is and recognize there's another mark in the book of Revelation, and that's the mark of the saints, those who are set apart for God's glory. What is the mark? Marked by holiness. They look like Jesus. Christians were first called Christians at Antioch. We're told Christian means little Christ. Where's little Jesus is running around? We, we reflect the character of Jesus. We are striving. We're moving on beyond what we once were. Sinners. Broken. We did some vile and broken. We got to move on from that and embrace who we are now in Christ. We are a work in progress, but, the, but that work will come to completion. What are we talking about this? Jesus warns that no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You want to think about that in your new year. Think about Luke 9.62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit, he says, for the kingdom of God. What does that mean? 
That means we need to strive forward. We need to move on. We need to embrace the, the kingdom of God has come. We pray, kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, brothers and sisters, let us forget. As sure as the sun rises in the morning, so be sure that you, brother, that you, sister, will be holy. Right now, as you struggle with your sin and an entanglement with sin and perhaps addiction or whatever you're wrestling with, know that one day you will be holy as Jesus is holy. That's a promise to claim This morning, brother and sister. And so thirdly, we see in verse 14 that we ought to aim at perfection. We have a goal. We have a destination and it is glory. I press on, Paul says, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I keep running the race. I get knocked down. I fall down. I fall flat on my face. I fall backwards, but it doesn't matter. I keep my eye on the prize, on the goal. There is a prize at the end of this race, meaning that the race is worthy to be run. It's a good race. It's a hard race. It's a difficult race. It's, it's, it's arduous at times. But the prize far outweighs the pain. The goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is going to call us home. That's our goal. That's what we live for. We celebrate all the wonderful gifts that that we've got this season. We've got some fun, man, some amazing gifts. God's people are generous. Perhaps you've given good gifts this season. There is a gift, the gift of God's call. You are his. You see, God only calls those which are his. You remember when Jesus was teaching? He says, listen, I've got sheep. He calls us sheep. He says, my sheep, they hear my voice and they listen to me. Brother, sister, when he calls and you answer, it's because you're his. And so we aim at this goal for the prize of running the race well. We aim at perfection, not perfectionism. We do not believe that there is ever a time on on this earth save the day Jesus comes again, that you will be holy, 100% holy. All right? So we dispel any Wesleyan ideas of, you know, I love John Wesley, but he was wrong, wrong, wrong on this point. And it was because he was confused about imputed righteousness. We are declared right, but we are not yet right. We are not yet glorified but yet we aim at holiness we strive to be more like jesus not that we have already obtained it he says but he presses forward 
Similarly, in Romans chapter 8, in verse 29, Paul would teach the church in Rome to have such confidence that those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Again, I mean, we could just talk about this idea again and again as the Bible paints. Look, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Keep moving forward. Strive towards the end. But here's the end is already done. You have, brother and sister, if you are a Christian this morning, I want you to know that you have trillions of years ago, trillions upon trillions of years ago, in eternity past, in infinitely past, in the mind of God, were predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Period. You can't get a better guarantee on that, ever. You will be conformed. Yes, you, rotten, sinful scoundrel, you will be conformed to the image of His Son. Paul goes on and he says that those whom God predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We ought to aim at glory, Paul says. Because the race is already won. As we reflect in the new year, I wonder... Where do you need to grow in holiness? We need to have a goal in order to achieve the goal. Using this metaphor of running, Paul says, listen, if you set out to run a race, there has to be an end. Or you just keep running. There has to be, at some point, a finish line. And for the Christian, the finish line is glory. The finish line is perfection, holiness, Christ-likeness. Christians, this should be our goal. We ought to know that this world will keep trying to make the goal shorter and easier to achieve. To be clear, again, we'll never be perfect, but we still aim at perfection. How do you need to be perfect, brother, sister? How will you resolve in this new year to press forward in holiness? What areas do you need to grow in? You have to begin by confessing you've not arrived. That there's still areas in your life. Perhaps it's anger. Perhaps it's anxiety. Perhaps it's fear. Perhaps it's personal spiritual disciplines. You just, you don't read your Bible. You don't pray. You don't give sacrificially. Perhaps it's in areas like our, our deacons are trying to emulate and serving the body. Not only with tangible needs, but spiritual needs. Serving one another. Perhaps for you it is the fight of sin that you've been entangled with. It has to begin by confessing. I need to grow in this area. I know I'm not like Jesus in this. But then, you've got to forget the past. You see, as Christians, one of the glorious things about the gospel is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. 
He didn't come to improve upon your efforts at life. Look, we're not good at running our own lives. Look at your life. Look at my life. I mean, left to ourselves, we make a, a really big mess of life. It's a broken world, and we, we all have broken lives and broken homes. There, there's no perfect family. There's no perfect person apart from the perfect one. See, what Paul is arguing towards here is that we are given the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. You see, this is the game changer. I want want you to really wrestle with this as you're approaching because here's my fear for you, friend. You're going to approach the new year like a works righteousness. But if you're a Christian, you have to approach it from the imputed righteousness of Christ. And here's what I mean. Right now, if you believe that Jesus Christ came into this world to die for your sins, he died the death you deserved, and he was raised again, and you believe upon him, you are trusting him for eternal life, here's what happened to you. The Father declared you forgiven from your sins. You're forgiven. Boy, that is freeing, isn't it? To know that every way in which we have past, present, and future been sinful and rebellious towards God, we've been forgiven of. So all the ways this morning and all the ways this afternoon and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives, all the ways we fall short, we've been forgiven of. But that's not it. You see, that's where we often stop. You see, the imputed righteousness of Christ teaches us not only are we declared justified, forgiven, but we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The perfect righteousness. And such that the Father sees us right now as perfect. As perfect. In other words, if you are in Christ, when God sees you, he sees you as he sees his own son. He loves you the way he loves his own son. He cares for you the way he cares for his own son. You see, there's no amount of resolve for the new year that is going to win more of God's praise. That's going to receive more of God's congratulations because right now you are complete in Christ. And so as we aim towards holiness in the present life, we do so knowing that the end is already complete. That we are already as holy in the eyes of God, as we will be on that day, when we hear the call and receive the prize. Let us strive with that goal in mind. Let's pray. Father, we do pray and we do ask that you would work for your glory in this new year. I pray for these dear saints that they would become more like Jesus More like Jesus in the way they love their spouses. More like Jesus in the way they love their children. More like Jesus in the way they love one another. More like Jesus in the way they they see this lost and dying world. 
more and more like Jesus. A heart broken to see lives transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray in this new year for your glory to rest upon us. And that we would be like Moses. We would just be mirrors reflecting your glory with, with faces shown of the glory of Christ Jesus. We ask this for your glory and our eternal good in Christ Jesus. Amen.